if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you if you would turn in it or turn it on, whichever is the way you operate, to Genesis chapter 17. And if you're using one of the Pew Bibles, I'd encourage you, can you turn to page 12 and you'll be right where we need to be this morning. Now, last Sunday we started Genesis 17 and we kind of looked at the, the first half of the chapter. And the big idea of that chunk of Scripture basically was that for Abram, who is renamed in the beginning of chapter 7, renamed Abraham, if he was going to experience restoration, basically the big idea was he needed to respond to the truth. Abraham needed to respond to God Almighty. Now, to add some color to that, the, the chapter kind of, because that really was the first three verses of the chapter, Abraham, you've got to respond to me. To add some color, Abraham was told that responding to him in part meant that God was going to change Abraham's life according to God's favor. He was going to do some things in Abraham's life, and Abraham was to then also express commitment to God. He was kind of say, yes, God, I want this, I desire this, I'm trusting you, and I'm going to express that I'm committed. I'm going to put that on display. I want my life to communicate that. Now, to translate that to us, to kind of just remind us and review, kind of connect with us, part of what that means is you and I need to respond. If we are going to experience God's restoring work in our lives, is we need to respond to God Almighty through what He did through the Lord Jesus. Okay, through what Jesus did on the cross and through His resurrection, we respond to that. And God is also calling us in that sense to participate, to align ourselves, to express commitment and walk with God. We are to walk before God. We want our lives to be about Him and living for Him. That's what we need to do. That's what the, really the first chap, first chunk of Genesis 17, that's what it was about. But even though the story of Genesis 17 continues and really the scene doesn't change, it just keeps going on, all of a sudden we're kind of turn a corner and the focus goes off of, off of us and how we participate and kind of join and partner with God to really, as chapter 17 finishes and rolls into chapter 18, this is really all about God. It's sort of about how God's going to operate, how God's going to move so that you and I can experience restoration. In essence, God wants to communicate to us this morning, here's my mode of operating, here's my modus operandi, let's put it on the table, this is how I'm going to function, this is how I'm going to operate. So I want to jump into chapter 17 and kind of talk about, well, how does God work? How is it that God worked in Abram's life, Abraham's life, I've got to get the new name right, and how might He operate in our lives? Okay, so method number one, how does God operate? Method number one is God works by stretching us, okay? God is going to work by stretching us. God worked in Abraham's life by stretching him. And we already said the scene of Genesis 17 continues. Really, all that happens where we finished last week is God was talking to Abraham about circumcision, and really the conversation just continues, except God says, hey, we're going to talk about a new subject now. We're going to talk about Sarai. Instead of talking about circumcision, now I want to talk to you about your wife, Sarai. So picking up the story, verse 15 and 16, God continues, and, and God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Now, 
Part of the reason why I backed up and referred to what we talked about last week is there's a lot of sort of overlaps between this chunk and, and the chunk we looked at last week. Last week in verses 4 and 5, God said, Abraham, or Abram, I'm going to give you a new name. Your name's not Abram anymore. It's going to be Abraham. And God went into sort of this lengthy explanation that he needed a new name because his role in God's plan. Well, here in verse 15 and 16, God changes Sarai's name from Sarai to Sarah, and most scholars will tell you that Sarai most likely means princess, and guess what Sarah means? Princess. It's just basically the same form of the name. It didn't really change very much, so we're left scratching our heads. Why did God change her name? I mean, it seems kind of trivial to, to just kind of change it, but, well, I changed Abraham's name. I guess I have to change Sarai's name, you know. No, we don't know exactly why, but he changed it. But part of the change, just like he changed Abraham's name to connect it to his purpose and his role, God says, I want you to change your name, and the reason why, in essence, is because there's some things I'm going to do through Sarai. There's some things that I want to do, God is saying. Sarai, now Sarah, is going to play an enormous part in what I'm going to do. I mean, God said to Abraham last week, He said, Abraham, I'm going to make nations from you, and I'm going to make kings come from you. And Abraham, I need you to know that the way I'm going to do that, the conduit I'm going to use to make that true in your life is through Sarah. She's going to be the one nations come from. She is the one that kings are going to come from. I'm going to use her. She's going to have a son. And all these amazing things are going to happen. Now, kind of hit the pause button just for a second. The story needs to go farther, but I just want us to consider this. Sarah, at this point, it had been 24 years since God had made the promise. And she still hadn't seen much from it. She'd waited a long time. Not only has she waited a long time, but in the midst of that 24 years, she made some sinful choices. She made her life a lot more difficult. But now, God's going to bless her. I think it's important for us not to miss this, that time and sin do not stop the hand of God. Time and sin don't stop it. We've said a number of times in this series that human solutions produce human results and human complications. The truth is our responses and our actions in life can make life way more difficult than it should be. Okay? We complicate our lives. We do things, and all of a sudden, it's a whole lot harder. It's, it doesn't make life pleasant and easy. And, and in Sarai's case, we go back to when she was named Sarai. Got to get the name right. It's now Sarah. But you go back to Genesis 16, and she has that interaction with Hagar. I'm reasonably confident that she probably deeply regretted that. I mean, it made her life incredibly difficult, and almost every day, because Hagar and Ishmael were still there, she'd have a reminder every day that she complicated her life. She made her life way harder. But that doesn't mean God couldn't work. Look at Genesis 17:1 again, just to remind us of the fact that God is 
bigger than our complications. Genesis 17.1 says, when, Abra, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Here's a truth you and I need to know. And we said last week that truth is really a person. It's God Almighty. God Almighty is bigger than every complication we can bring. God Almighty is bigger than the complications we bring. To, to put it into terms based on some architectural features in the room, the cross and the resurrection are declarations of God's victory over complications. No matter how messed up we can make our lives, that is God's declaration that He has victory over that. And I think that's important for us to understand. We can think, well, God could never restore me. Wrong. The cross and Jesus' resurrection would say otherwise. Because the one who died for you is God Almighty. Back to the conversation about Sarah, continuing the story. How do you think Abraham would respond if he was told, hey, your wife's going to have a son? Now, usually, usually most fathers want to have sons. So you'd think, you know, how's he going to respond? You know, is he going to be handing out cigars? What's he going to do? I've never have understood why you hand out a cigar, to be honest. It seems like a really healthy, unhealthy thing to do, but that's just me. If you smoke a cigar, I've just insulted you, but I've also insulted Charles Spurgeon, so deal with it. How do you think he'd respond? Well, look at verse 17. How did Abraham respond to this statement by God? Then Abram fell on his face. Now, he did that back in verse 3, and he did it in verse 3 out of an act of submission, out of an act of worship. But that's really not what's going on here, is it? Because the verse continues on. And he laughed, and he said to himself, Shall the child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? I mean, yes, in verse 3, when God spoke to Abram, he fell on his face in submission and worship. Here he falls on his face because he's laughing so hard. He is like, God, God, there's no way this is going to happen. God, that's... That's just kind of funny, but I don't think this is the way it's going to be. And at this point, God's beginning to communicate to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to do some things that are going to stretch you. I'm going to do some things that are different than what you expected. See, God wants to communicate. One of the ways He brings restoration into our lives is by stretching us. Now, to make sure we understand where Abraham's coming from, he's laughing. He then moves on in verse 18 and says these words to God. And Abraham said to, Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Abraham had this great idea of how God could do things. I mean, in one sense, you could say that Abraham thought he had a superior idea. He says, God, I've got a plan for you. I've got a way to do this. There's no need for Sarah to have a son. We've already got a son. We've already got a boy. He's right here. 
We could use Abra, we could use Ishmael, and Ishmael could live before you, God. This, we don't need to do that. We can do this. Survey time. How many of you have ever offered to God a way God should operate? How's that worked out for you? I'll be honest, I've done that. I mean, one of the things, working, you know, kind of knowing what was coming up message-wise and being back in Calgary and kind of going back to places I grew up at, it's like, oh, yeah, I think I told God if He would do this at this point, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, okay. I had a lot of memories of, I did this a lot. How does God respond when you tell Him how He should operate? Verse 19, 20, and 21. God said, no. That's what it says. God said, no. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear a son, and you shall call him Isaac. We'll talk more about that in a few weeks, but Isaac means he laughs. We'll get into that more. There's going to be more laughter, and the laugh, laugh is not on us, or is on us, I guess, not from us. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. God is basically saying to Abraham, thanks, but no thanks. I appreciate your, your counsel. I appreciate your contribution, but I'm going to do something through Sarah. You are going to have another son. Now, in saying that, it's really important for us to realize God isn't forgetting Ishmael. He's not throwing Ishmael away. God doesn't throw people away. People matter to God. People are incredibly valuable. Every person you see is made in the image of God. Part of the reason why we support her health is because her health is trying to make sure that everyone who's conceived, who's conceived in the image of God, has life outside the womb. Okay? That's part of why we do it, because people matter. But God's plan matters too. And God says, just because there's different people, I'm not necessarily going to use every person the way you might expect me to use them. I'm going to do something different. Okay, God is really stretching Abraham at this point. Okay, God wants, or Abraham wants God to operate in a way Abraham's good with. And how many times do we do that? But here in Genesis, you know, we want God to do it as we feel comfortable. It feels good to us. If God would do it like this, I'd like that. And there are times where God is going to operate in a way that agrees with you. But not always. And in Genesis 17, as the story unfolds, God's wanting to stretch Abraham and he's wanting to do some things a little different. You see, if he is God Almighty, if that's true, or as in one of the adult classes, we talked briefly about different kinds of conditional sentences, this would be a place where you would say instead of if, you would say since. 
If you don't know what I'm talking about and you were in that class, you were obviously asleep. If you weren't in that class, you have no idea what I'm talking about, so let's move on. If He's God Almighty, then He is going to do as He deems best, how He knows is best. He knows will flow out from here, even if that means we get stretched a little. But God is okay stretching us. Now, here's the challenge for us. If God's going to stretch us, we need to know that He's going to stretch us so that we can continue to align with Him. Part of, I think, why you and I struggle sometimes seeing God's work in our lives is He's trying to stretch us. And our response is, no way! God, do it this way! And God's saying, no. But we miss out on it because we don't align with it. Please understand, God will stretch us. God will operate in different ways than you and I expect. And you say, where are you getting that from? Well, in part, the story in Genesis 17. God's stretching Abraham. He's going to do something he hasn't done yet. But then in the book of Isaiah, if you want to turn really quickly to Isaiah chapter 43, God declares some things to Isaiah, really to all of us in history since, about how he operates. Okay, verses 16 and 17, let me start there. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lay down, they, they cannot rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Okay, Isaiah is telling us, really, God inspired Isaiah to say, hey, I want you to communicate some things about me. Make sure people know that I am mighty and I am powerful. And really, I'm literally in control of everything. Even armies, I can put them out. You know, you lick your fingers and put them on the wick of a candle, and it's gone. God can do that to armies, it says. Now, he uses words there of chariots and horses and making a way in the sea, maybe to translate it into our day and age. You say, well, we can control a horse. Can you and I control nuclear weapons? Can we control space? But God's saying, I can do those things. It's important for us to know something about God, the bigness of who he is and what he can do. And then he continues in verses 18 and 19. Notice this. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm going to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. God is saying, in my power, I'm going to do some things you haven't seen me do yet. Don't get too tied up on all the things I've done. Realize I'm going to do a new thing, and we need to be ready. That means he's going to stretch us. He's going to do something you and I maybe didn't expect, didn't anticipate, but he's going to do it in his power. And yes, it is true that Sarah's going to be 90 years old next year. But God is going to make it possible for a nine-year-old woman to have a baby. I don't know if that stretches you, but I remember my grandmother's 90th birthday. 
when her hearing aid and the phone didn't really coordinate very well. Who? She had had a lot of babies, but not at 90. But God said, I'm going to do this. Now, why even bring this up? Why, why draw attention to this? How does this apply to you and me? God's going to stretch us. Well, here's how I think it applies to you and me. If God is going to do restoring work in our lives by stretching us, then we're going to need to put a few things on the table with God and really let God have them. Okay, I think we're going to need to put our preferences on the table and I think we're going to need to put our dreams on the table. See, we want God to operate in a way that confirms our preferences. And we also want God to operate in a way that fulfills our dreams. Now, please understand, I think sometimes God does both of those. But not always. You and I may have an Ishmael in our lives. Ishmael could be our preference. Ishmael could be our dream. But there's something more like, God, you've got to do it this way. And God is saying, I'm going to do something beyond that. I'm not saying that's easy. I'm not saying this was easy to be in Abraham's shoes. But God's going to stretch us. And God stretches us. Why? Ultimately to bring restoration into our lives. See, folks, if you and I are really going to experience the restoring work of God in our lives, I think we need to be, in a sense, open to being stretched. But really, maybe instead of saying open to being stretched, we need to fall on our faces in submission of God, saying, God, if you need my preference, here it is. If you need my dreams, here it is. Being back in Calgary to go see my dad, it meant I drove right by the medical school at the University of Calgary. That was my dream. What I've realized in the subsequent years is the incredible things God has done in my life because He took that dream and popped it. I'm not saying it's easy. But the work of God in our lives demands that we get stretched sometimes. Now, there's a part of me at this point that wants to yell out, Really? I really have to be stretched? I mean, I'm about as inflexible a person as there is. I mean, I, I, the only way I can touch my toes... I can't, I mean, I watch people do it and I'm like, that's sick. <laughs> I've never been able to do that ever in my life. Now, as a kid, I could suck my toe, but I'm not going to demonstrate that, for which we are all thankful. Really? Do I really have to be open to being stretched? Because I really like being stubborn. Some of us do. I like it my way. Do I really have to? How, okay, how did Abraham respond? How did Abraham respond with his Ishmael and all of that? How did he respond? Two ways I think Abraham responded to what God declared. Way number one was this. Abraham obeyed. 
Okay, response number one, how should we respond when God says, I'm going to stretch you? We should obey. Back to Genesis chapter 17, verses 22 and 23, the story continues. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. And Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin that very day as God had said to him. Abraham obeyed. I do not believe it is easy to be stretched by God. Okay, it's not necessarily easy for us when God says uh, that preference, no, that's gone. That dream, that's gone. But if God is stretching us, then we are actually in the place now where we can begin to experience God's restoring work in our lives. And if I respond to God, if you respond to God in obedience, in essence, if we've trusted Christ, okay, if you've turned from sin to God and trust the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you're in a relationship with God. In loyalty and love to God, you say, okay, God, I don't quite get this, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to obey you. Now we're in the spot where we'll experience restoration. Why obey? Because that puts you in the place where God's going to work the most in your life. Way number one, response number one is we should obey. Response number two is, I think, to be concerned for others. Now, Genesis 17 kind of, it ends, God takes off, Abraham does his thing, but very, very briefly thereafter, very short time, God shows up again, but not necessarily in a way Abraham notices at first. Chapter 18, verses 1 and 2. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, and he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold, three men were standing in front of him, and when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. Okay? God had more he wanted to say to Abraham, kind of wanted to share more about how I operate, how I do things. So he comes to Abraham again, but not necessarily in a way Abraham, at least at first, knew this was God. Now, verse 2 might make us think, well, Abraham was going and falling down and he's bowing down to worship somebody. Probably not. Probably this was a typical way you would greet someone you didn't know who happened to come near your home. That's what they did in their culture. They were very respectful. You know, they'd bow their heads. One of the things that's interesting, if you have an opportunity to meet some of our Ethiopian friends, when they shake their hands, and you stick out your hand to shake their hand, they take your hand, but they do this. They cross their arms, and they do this. It's out of respect. Okay, similar idea. They're being respectful. Abraham's being respectful. And then he enters into a bit of a dialogue with them. So verse 3 down to verse 8. And, the Lord, and, and said, so Abram said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. While I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourself and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, 
three sheaves of fine flour, kneaded and make cakes. Now, this is like an enormous amount of bread. Okay, this is probably enough bread for a hundred people. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man and who prepared it quickly and he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Now, to be clear, what's being described here is something that was very common in that culture. Somebody came. Now, Abraham's kind of going to another level. He kind of turbocharged his response. But if somebody came near you, you showed them hospitality. And part of me was like, well, this is just sort of setting up the next scene. This is, you know, Moses is just telling the story to set up the scene, but I'm like, he took eight verses to do it. What's going on here? Why is he being slow about this? What's being described here is a biblical value. It's called the love of strangers. Now, we don't usually say, did you love strangers today? We'll often bring it into a word we call hospitality. The root of the idea of hospitality is love of stranger. And part of me is like, is this just a, a side thing? And then part of me is like, you know what? It was one of those times where it kind of felt like God and I had a little conversation, so to speak. And it's like, Lloyd, you've been the pastor of Central for almost nine years. Have you ever talked to the congregation about hospitality? I don't know. I can't remember everything I said. But I began to feel a certain measure of conviction that perhaps this is a biblical value that I, from the platform or the floor or wherever, haven't held up. And it's like, folks, maybe this is a biblical value we need to see. We live in a world where there's a lot of fear of stranger, but the people of God are called to love strangers. Now, that's not easy and that's not simple, but that's what we're called to do. And so I think part of our response in life, maybe not just in this story, but in all of life, is we're called to love the stranger. We're called to show hospitality. We're not to get so consumed with our lives that we forget to do that. Now, it does set up the story, so we're going to continue on. Yes, we respond by loving the stranger. That's a huge thing. But the story continues because out of that scene, God wants to say, here's how else I operate. Sort of second part of his operating style. Okay, so what is it? How's his second way of operating? His second way of operating, method number two, is God works beyond us. Okay, God is going to work beyond us. Verses 9 to 11 of chapter 8. Then they said to him, where is Sarah your wife? And he said, well, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Okay, it's what happened there is really as simple as it reads. In this meal, while they're eating, they say, hey, where's your wife, Sarah? Well, you know, where is she? And then the Lord says, hey, I just want you to know she's going to have a son next year. Now, just so that we are refreshed and keep it clear, Moses wants to kind of underline what was going through Abraham and Sarah's minds at this point. And so he basically says, um, <clears throat> Sarah's kind of reached that point in life where she's eggless. Okay? That one of those key ingredients to a woman having a baby, she doesn't have those anymore. The way of women is past. 
okay, that, that's going to complicate this whole process. So what happens next? Verse 12. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have this pleasure? I mean, given her context, I don't think I can blame Sarah. Pretty understandable. I say, I'm 90 years old. I haven't had a baby yet. I don't think it's going to happen. She's kind of like, I don't think so. At this point, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, this is Lloyd's ad libbing, reading between the lines. These guys came in the middle of the day, at the heat of the day. Maybe they got a little sunstroke. You know, things were just, the, the synapses weren't firing quite right. There's, she's going to have a baby? I don't think so. But God's kind of saying, look, um, Sarah, you don't know that you're going to play a huge role in my plan. So I want to explain to you that you are. So verses 13 to 15. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child? Now that I am old, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. Now, we don't know at what point in the story Abraham and Sarah began to realize that there are three guests. One was the Lord and two were angels. We don't know when that took place. Maybe it took place right here. That, hey, there's something going on here. This isn't just a normal set of three guys. This is God, and God wants you to know how He operates. Look again at verse 14, important part of the beginning of the verse. Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's really an important question that the Lord is asking. And the way he's asking the question, is anything too hard for the Lord? The words too hard mean something beyond human capabilities. Is there anything beyond human capabilities, is there anything God can't do in essence? And the way the question is phrased grammatically and all of that, the answer is no. There is nothing too hard for the Lord to do. A 90-year-old woman who's post-menopause can have a baby if God works. That might be beyond us, but God can do it. Now the question is, why bring this up? Why does God tell us this? Why does He point out that this is how He operates? Well, I think in short, God is doing this so that we have hope. We've said and kind of underlined it that human solutions bring human resu results and human complications. And sometimes those complications get so big that we can't deal with life. We can't handle the problems. What do we do? When you and I complicate our lives, we tend to see hope evaporate. It's like, oh, we thought we had this problem solved, but oh, it just got worse. Now what? God wants us to understand how He operates, how He goes beyond us so that we literally have hope. You see, if God can do things beyond us, then for the people that first were the first readers of this book, then the exodus can happen. 
If God can do beyond us, then that means the people can cross the flooded Jordan River and go into the land and take over the land. If God can go beyond us, then that means that the Lord Jesus, God the Son, can literally come, He can be born, He can be a baby, grow up and be a man. Not only that, but if God can go beyond us, then the resurrection can happen. to personalize it. If God can do beyond us, if He can go beyond us, He can do things you and I cannot do, then that means it might be possible, or rather it is possible, that you and I could be reconciled to God and be forgiven of our sin if we trust Christ. We can be reconnected to God. It's possible because God can go beyond us. Because if God can go beyond us, that means you and I might be able to forgive one another. If God can go beyond us and do things greater than you and I can, then maybe we can be changed. If God can go beyond us, then maybe the deepest hurt in your life, God can bring His presence into it God can touch you there. And God can heal you right there. Why does God communicate this to us? Because He wants us to know when we don't have a solution, He still does. Why did God take a chunk of two chapters to say, this is how I operate? This is how I function. Well, to kind of underline it again, there are going to be issues you and I can't solve. Some of the issues you and I can't solve because we keep trying to solve it the same way. And some issues we can't solve because they're simply beyond us. Which means either we need God to stretch us or we need God to work beyond us. We need Him to do things we can't do. If we're going to experience restoration, we need God to operate as only God can, stretching us and going beyond us. I think God shared these stories with Abraham so that Abraham would have confident hope and so that you and I would have confident hope. That as we look at life and we face it and we're trying to figure out, how do I deal with these things? We know that God can stretch us and we know that God can go beyond us so that as we deal with things in life we don't know how to deal with, we know that God will show up. And instead of us living life going, I'm going to never make it, I'm going to be crushed, we can literally have the confident hope that we can overcome life. To borrow from the words of the Lord Jesus in John chapter 16 and verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. 
God says, I want you to understand how I operate so that even when the world is nuts, even when it feels like the world around you is out of control, you can still have peace because I have overcome the world. And as you link to me, as you trust me, I'm going to work in your life to stretch you and I'm going to work in your life in ways beyond your capabilities. And you will see my hand even in things that are incredibly hard. God says, I work this way so that you can know victory in life. Let's pray. Father, you are the one that cares for us. And you're the one that lives and breathes and moves and does things that we don't understand. Sometimes you're going to call us to be stretched. You might do that literally this week. And in some cases, Lord, we are going to need you to do some things beyond us. Father, I pray that we would see you, that we would trust you, that we would trust what your word is telling us. Because if we're going to experience restoration, we need you to operate as only you can. We need God to be God. Lord, I pray that you're going to move in us to trust you, that we can receive from you your incredible goodness your incredible promises so that we can know the victory that's found in Christ so that we can overcome with Jesus. Father, you invite us to that. I pray in seeing who you are, we would respond by trusting you and we would receive all that you have for us in Christ. Father, you know each one of us and you know what our needs are this moment. I pray we would hear you speak into our ears. You will stretch. I will do beyond what you can. In me, I can make you an overcomer. Will you walk with me? Father, may we walk with you this week and truly receive what it means to overcome. In the very precious and powerful name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.